Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Nice to hear from three of you. Good morning, everyone. Hey, fantastic. We are here. Uh, thank you, Nathan. I'd just like to start this morning by a special thank you to Pastor Luke. Luke's not here today, but for the last three weeks, Luke's um, challenge, tackled some really interesting topics. Um, predestination and Calvinism and Armenianism and Israel and eschatology and end-time prophecy and nothing controversial at all, and I'm sure everyone agreed with every word that he said. So nice, easy gig for Luke. No, not, not really. But I get a much more... Much easier, much more unifying passage. So thank you to Luke. In fact, when I first started preparing this uh, sermon, seriously, I thought to myself, I could stand up, read that out a couple of times with emphasis, say amen, and sit down, and we'd all agree and we'd all be blessed. And sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm not actually going to do that. I'm I'm sure some of you would be delighted with a a two-minute sermon, but you've got to put up with another 25 minutes or so yet. But this is a great passage, and the more you think about this passage, the better it gets. And the fact that this passage comes straight after the previous three chapters is not a coincidence. We've read about law and grace and the promises of God and the mercy of God and all these controversial issues that people have been debating for hundreds of years and you know we never find a total consensus. And then we are reminded that God is God. We are reminded about the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We're reminded that God's judgments are unsearchable and we have no right to question God because God is wisdom. God is truth. God is holy and right and pure and and real in every sense of the word. And so it's a timely reminder that God is God and we are not, and that's actually a very beautiful thing. Let's just think... I'm going to concentrate mainly on verse 33, the first verse in that chapter today. Verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The use of the word depth is not insignificant. So we could have said the heights or the extent, but when we think about depth, we think about like the foundations, don't we? In fact, people even talk about the depths of the sea, and it's kind of ironic that Humanity will probably know more about outer space than we do about the very depths of some of the oceans here on our own planet. But when we can marvel at the heights of tall buildings or trees, but they're only high because of the depth of their foundations or the depth of the roots of the tree. See, the height depends on the depth. The height is for show, but the depth is for the base or the security. The height is the symptom or the effect but the depth is the cause. So we talk about the depth, the incalculable, unmeasurable, indescribable depth 
of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. What a profound statement. Let's think about three words mainly this morning, the riches and the, wis- and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Remember, we are talking about God. We're not talking about people. God's riches are far beyond ours. God's knowledge is far greater than ours. God's wisdom is far greater than ours. First of all, the riches. Now, the fact that God is rich is kind of obvious. Seriously, God is the creator of everything. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's a fair bit of stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 10 goes even further. It says, To the Lord belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth, and everything in it. That's a lot of stuff. See, God made everything. Imagine how rich you would be if you could make something out of nothing. That'd be a pretty good gig, wouldn't it? We'd all do all right out of that. I know sometimes our politicians act like they can make something out of nothing, especially at election time. They promise fantastic things. It's going to cost billions of dollars and it sounds great and we think, yeah, beauty, I'm all for that. Of course, after the election, they either break the promises or send us into debt. The rest of us have to live in reality. But God can literally make something out of nothing. He created the whole world, the heavens and the earth, the entire universe, simply by the power of his word. That's, that is indescribable. We might envy wealthy people. We might wish maybe we had some of the stuff that they had. But the riches of God are infinitely greater. And if you're a child of God, you don't have to envy other people and their stuff. Back in 1997, Bill Gates was the richest man on earth. He's still doing pretty well for himself. But um, back in 1997, he was a guest speaker at a, at a convention and he was asked a question by a member in the audience who said, Asked him, if you were blind, would you give up all your billions of dollars to have your sight restored? And Bill Gates said yes. He would give up everything to regain his sight. See, some things are more important than money. And when you think about it, our sight is a pretty precious gift, isn't it? And it's a free gift from God. Same with all our other senses. Same with life itself. Free gifts from God worth more than a few bucks. See, God is rich because he can literally make something out of nothing. And there is a vast amount of nothing in outer space. So God has plenty of material to work with. God's riches are literally limitless, infinite, beyond measure, indescribable. And even more than that, God is not only rich because he can create awesome things, God himself is awesome, amazing, incredible. When we truly understand who God is, We happily trade everything else just to be in his presence. Psalm 84 says, Better is one day in God's courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Recently I read a story about a a mother who accidentally locked her keys in her car. And to make it even worse, her, her baby was also in the car. And it was a hot day. And the mother was getting pretty stressed trying to get the baby out. A neighbour came over and was trying to unlock the car while the mother got more and more uh, stressed and agitated and running around and trying to get in. And as she looked in, she could see the baby turning purple and the situation was getting pretty drastic and the mother was pretty getting hysterical. And then another neighbour arrived on the scene, a man called Fred. Fred's a good name. We've got a Fred here. He's a good bloke too. Anyway, Fred was a truck driver and he arrived. He assessed the situation. He grabbed a hammer and he came and he smashed a window and he reached through unlocked and opened the door so they could get the little girl out. Now, was Fred treated as a hero? 
Ironically, afterwards, Fred was quoted as saying, the lady was mad at me because I broke the window. I just thought, which is more important, the baby or the window? And I think most of us would agree the baby's life was more important than a window. So some things are more important than others. And God himself is not only rich, God is the riches. In Philippians 3, Paul says, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a a pearl of great price, and a merchant who sold everything he owned just so he could buy this perfect, valuable pearl. Talking about the the kingdom of God. In Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the glorious riches of God, and the quote in verse 27 says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. Is anything worth more to you than the hope of glory? the hope, the opportunity of spending eternity in heaven. I don't think anything is worth more than that. See, we often worry about things in this world, suffering and pain and rejection and disappointment and all the troubles of this world. But when we remember those verses, the hope of glory, the riches of God, we can be encouraged, we can be blessed, we can be refreshed, we can be excited. Because God is good. The next key word is knowledge. The knowledge... Of God. Now, people, we think we know a whole lot of stuff, don't we? But in actual fact, maybe not so much. I heard about one church that had a, a, a visiting speaker come. It wasn't Mark Connor, so it's okay. Um, but there, this visiting speaker had a gift of prophecy. And uh, he, they invited him and he booked it in and they advertised it and it was all set to go. And at the last minute, the prophet had to cancel due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> so people don't always know as much as they, they think they do. Uh, Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist. Um, He died before I was born, um, which, if you believe my children, was a very long time ago. But but Carl Jung had a few famous quotes, and one of them was, it is strange how much you have to know before you know how little you know. Let me read that again so you can fully absorb it. It's strange how much you have to know before you know how little you know. See, people think they know things. But compared to God, our knowledge is insignificant. Isaiah 40 asks, Who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured the heavens with his fingers? Now, this is not just measuring the distance between the Southern Cross and the pointers. This is measuring the expanse of the universe. And God's saying, yeah, about that. Only God can do that, of course. His knowledge is greater than ours. His creativity is greater than ours. I once heard of an imaginary conversation between God and a scientist. And the scientist said, I can prove that life might have started by chance. And God said, really? Tell me how you would achieve that. And the scientist said, well, I'll just get a bit of dirt and I'll get a bit of air. And then God says, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's my dirt. It's my air. You get your own. (laughs) So not a true story, of course, but it makes the point that God is God and we are not. And he is greater than us. And his knowledge is far greater than ours. If you want to get just a a glimpse, just an inkling of the things that God can understand and design and create that we can never comprehend, read Job chapter 38 through to chapter 41, where God talks to Job about all these things. And some of those things, with the benefit of another three or 4,000 years of history, we think, yeah, we're sort of getting a handle on that. And some of them, no, we have no idea. So that's just an inkling of how far ahead God is 
of us. Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of God. So we've talked about the riches, we've talked about the knowledge. Let's talk about the wisdom of God. See, God's wisdom is not like human wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that the message of the cross, like the, the core message of the Bible, the message of the cross seems foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And then later in the same chapter, God's foolish, uh, it says that God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than our strength. We're not even in the same league as God. So where does wisdom come from? Well, Proverbs chapter 1, which is a, Proverbs is a book all about wisdom, and right at the start, chapter 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom 101. If you want to be wise, chapter 1, page 1, sentence 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Proverbs 2 says, the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. In Daniel chapter 2 says, God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So wisdom comes from God. And then some really good news in James chapter 1, that God will give us wisdom if we ask for it. Billy Graham told a story about a company president who said to his secretary, uh, I'm not to be disturbed, I have a, an important engagement. And he went into his office and he closed the door. Now the chairman of the board came to the office in a big hurry one morning demanding to see the president. The secretary said, I'm sorry, he's busy, and can't be disturbed, and the chairman of the board was mad and he just barged in through the door anyway. And he found the young president on his knees in prayer. So the chairman uh, slowly backed away and quietly closed the door and said to the secretary, how often does he do this? And the secretary says, one hour every day he sits aside for, for prayer. Well, said the chairman, it's no wonder I always come to him for advice. Because God gives generously to those who ask. It's good to ask God for wisdom and for help and for insight. <clears throat> Every second month I catch up with a guy called Glenn. Glenn's a little bit older than me, but more importantly he's been in ministry. He's been a pastor for about 23 years now in a couple of different churches. So we just sit and talk and I listen to his stories. I try to learn from his, his, his experience, his, his advice, his, his wisdom. He told me a story one day about a guy he knew who, who needed some advice, but he wasn't asking for advice. And maybe you know the type. And Glenn thought to himself, how do I deal with this situation? So Glenn invited this guy out for a coffee and they sat down and after the preliminary chat, Glenn said to the guy, are you a wise man? And the guy said, well, yes, I'd certainly like to think so. And Glenn said, good. So he opened his Bible to Proverbs 12:15, which says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And Glenn said, listen up, I've got some advice. It'd be pretty hard not to listen after that, wouldn't it? So, so if I ever invite you out for a coffee and ask you if you're a wise man, then, um, you know, anyway. Or if you do it to me, I know I'm in trouble. Now, of course, wisdom and knowledge are different things. Knowledge is an, an awareness of facts or information. Wisdom is the ability to use that information to achieve a good outcome. Now, some people have knowledge, but not wisdom. Other people may have wisdom even without great knowledge or education. But wisdom is more than just knowing. Wisdom is doing. Wisdom requires action. And that's why the Bible is such a great book. There's lots of books that can inform you, but the Bible can transform you, which is a significant difference. 
James chapter 1 warns us, don't just listen to God's word, but do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. A modern version might be, talk is cheap, but actions are gold. Can you imagine an athlete who heard what his coach said, but didn't bother doing anything about it? Can you imagine a team sport where most of the players are going to the team plan and one guy's just doing his own thing, he just didn't listen to the coach? wouldn't work, would it? It would be foolishness. So we need to act as well as hear. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about wise and foolish people and he tells a story. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So wisdom comes from God and he has far more than we do. Knowledge comes from God and he has far more than we do. Now the other aspect of God mentioned in verse 1 was the judgments of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? The Bible describes God's judgments as true and right and fair. But it would be fair to say that some people in today's world, they disagree. They don't like God's judgments. Some people think they know better. Some people, they think they'd like to be God and make up the rules themselves. Some people even deny the existence of God because it's an easy way to appoint themselves as the supreme being. Now, the Bible says that only a fool would say there is no God. But let's think just for a minute about the judgments of God. First, step one, whenever you talk about the judgments of God, rule number one, always remember, God is God. God is the creator. He is more wise than we are. So if we disagree with God, the problem is with us, not with God. That's always the most important thing to remember when we think about the judgments of God. So God says the only way to heaven is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, a story I heard about a, a conversation that happened in India between a, a Christian missionary and a Hindu man and a Muslim man. Now, I know you're thinking this is a joke. This is not a joke. This is a, this is a true story. So these three guys, uh, they made friends and they got talking and obviously they talked about their different religions. And the, the Hindu guy, he, he sort of said, well, I think you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to reach God. We're just coming from different, different angles and different pathways. And the, the Muslim guy agreed. And the, the Christian guy said, so I think what you're trying to say is that God is on top of the mountain and we're all on different sides of the mountain, all trying to get to God, you know, different ways up the mountain. And the other two guys said, yes, precisely. Good analogy. Well done. That's great. And the Christian guy said, how would it be if God came down the mountain to us? And they said, oh, wow, well, that'd be amazing. That'd be, that'd be a pretty good God. And the Christian guy said, let me tell you about Jesus. See, profound. See, God sent Jesus so we could spend eternity in heaven. God did the work. He knew that we could never do it on our own. We could never climb the mountain on our own strength. So God did it all. And he really does have the right to, to decide who gets there and how we get there. It's God's heaven after all. This is not like earth. On earth, one group of people migrate to this country and then they sort of, they think, well, now we have the right to decide who else migrates here. Well, no, this is like a builder who, with his own money and his own material, has built a house with his own hands for himself 
of course that builder has the right to decide who he invites to come and live with him. So God made heaven, God is in heaven, and he decides who gets there. It's perfectly fair, isn't it, even by our dodgy standards. If, if some people don't want to love God or spend time with God or bring glory to God, then so be it. But still, God's judgments are fair. Um, so God's judgments are consistent. They're fair and true and right, exactly like the Bible says. The only question really is whether you believe that God is God and follow his standards or whether you think that you know best and whether you choose not to believe in God because it's more convenient. Of course, what we choose to believe makes no difference to the truth. God is God whether we believe it or not. Our belief or unbelief belief or unbelief ultimately makes no difference to the sovereignty of God, but it makes an enormous difference to where we spend eternity. Speaking of belief, one quote I read this week said, for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. Which is very true when you think about it, which is why faith is so important and what's why the Bible talks a lot about faith. So very quickly, just the other verses this morning's um, passage. Who has known the mind of God or who has been his counsellor? I reckon most of us at some point in our life we've tried to counsel God. We've seen a situation and we've come up with a solution and said, hey God, this would be really great. And nearly always our solution just happens to benefit us as well. Surprise, surprise. But we always we think, hey, come on God, if you don't do this, you know, you're really letting me down here. I really, this, is, this is the way to do it. Anyone not done that? You will. Um, so God, God sees the big picture. God sees the past and the present and the future. God sees the issue from every angle and every perspective, and God knows best. So to summarise the wisdom and the knowledge of God, God knows what he's doing. God is right and true and just. God does not change his mind like political correctness. God is stable and sure and secure. God is compassionate and loving and fair. God is holy and pure and good. God's riches are beyond our comprehension. God's knowledge is beyond our comprehension. God's wisdom is beyond our comprehension. God's judgments are beyond our comprehension. And God's ways are beyond our comprehension. So that's why this passage is a great way to follow on from the previous three weeks. And then the last verse of this passage, of this chapter, and really all theology, all creation, all existence is tied up and summarised in this passage, in this verse. From him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever. So why does God get the glory? Because he deserves it, because he is God, because he is infinitely greater than, than we are. God thoroughly deserves the glory. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us.
God bless.